But before we start chapter 24, just look to the end of chapter 24. Do you guys see this? 67 verses. <clears throat> it's the longest chapter in the book of Genesis. And then, of course, Genesis 25 is the middle of the book, isn't it? And then we have 25 more chapters to go. So tonight, in chapter 24, we begin here, and it says, Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. Now, just because he was old and advanced in age didn't mean he didn't have a few years left in him. Look at chapter 25, verse 1. Abraham again took a wife, <laughs> Keturah. So he's got, some, he's got some energy going here, okay? So we, we know that he was 100 when Isaac was born. We're thinking chapter 22 that he was like 33 years old. Uh, Isaac was. I believe that. But then the very next chapter, Sarah dies at 27, 127 years. That makes Isaac 37. That makes Abraham 137. Now we come to chapter 24. I think it was just a few years later. I think Isaac now is probably in his late 30s, early 40s. And Abraham's about 140 years old. He's going to live to be 175 years old. So um, that's, that's a speculation. We don't know, but he's old, but I think he's still got quite a long time to go. But I, I think there, there hits an age where it's like, ah, I'm going to die anytime. We're going to see that with Isaac. He, he said, oh, I'm going to die, and he lived another 43 years. Um, so there's just that point in life when, and then, of course, it doesn't happen. And that seems to be the case here as well. But Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, now, the servant here is unnamed. And I'll tell you, I think there's a reason for that. And we're going to see it in a minute. But we do probably know who this is, right? Back in chapter 15, where he says, oh, I guess I'll have no kids. And Eliezer, my servant of Damascus, will be the one that I um, inherit everything to or inherits everything. And God said, nope, you're going to have children. It's not going to be the case. So I, it's Eliezer probably, which is interesting because Eli, Eliezer means um, the helper, <laughs> which is uh, very close to uh, what the Holy Spirit is also called, the helper, the comforter. And we're going to see that Eliezer is a picture of the Holy Spirit, the type. And so um, this servant in his house who ruled over all that he had he said, please put your hand under my thigh. And we're going to find this repeated in the book of Genesis when they're going to ask somebody to make a promise or give a blessing. And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven, the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites, whom I dwell. So no doubt Abraham had met the people of the land, and so had Isaac, and no doubt some of these Canaanite women were beautiful, and, and uh, Isaac's probably getting to know some of them, and uh, he's, he's concerned that uh, Isaac doesn't do the Esau thing, the foolish thing, and marry a Canaanite woman. But you shall go to my country and to my family 
and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, well, perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me through to this land. Must I take your son to make the, to the land from which you came? And Abraham said to him, beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who had spoke to me and swore to me, saying, to your descendants I give this land, he shall, and he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. So Abraham now in verse 7 says, you know, God spoke to me about this. Maybe it was in a dream, or maybe it was in his heart. But he says, look, I'm not asking you to do this because it's a good idea. I'm telling you that God told me that you're to go do this. And I'm sending you instructions from God. And he has told me already that you're going to have success and that you are going to be bringing a wife back here. But he says, if the woman is not willing, in verse 8, to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. That would be the absolute worst possible thing. Don't do it. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham, his master, and swore to him concerning this matter, or really these matters, about getting a bride and not taking Isaac back. Now in verse 10, then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. Remember, that's the name of Abraham's brother. And you got a city named after you. That's a pretty uh, prestigious thing. And he made his camels to kneel down outside the city by the well of water at the evening time, the time when the women go out to draw water. And then he said, uh, an instant in prayer. I love that. Remember in Nehemiah 2, the king looks at Daniel and, or excuse me, at Nehemiah as face is sad and you can't be sad in the king's presence and live. And he goes, hey, you're sad. And they're like, oh no. And he goes, why shouldn't I be sad? And he says, Jerusalem's tore down. And, and the king says, well, what would you like me to do for you? And it says, he prayed to the God of heaven. <laughs> Instant in prayer. And here he is coming there and he sees these ladies coming out and Oh, Lord God, my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, here I stand by the well of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw. Now let it be that your young women, to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels to drink. Let her be the one to whom you appoint for your servant Isaac. And by this I know that you have shown kindness to my master. So a couple of things here. The last time we saw Isaac was at Mount Moriah. And remember, Abraham had said very specifically in chapter 22, me and the lad shall return. But at the very end, in Genesis twenty-two nineteen, remember we saw there that Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose. Abraham, and it doesn't appear that Isaac is there. If he is, he's not named. And they went back to Beersheba. And so interesting that I and the lad shall return, and, and 
no doubt Isaac did eventually return because he's now, uh, as we're going to discover in this chapter, back in Mesopotamia. But very specifically, the Holy Spirit uh, guiding the writing of the scripture made it clear that Isaac is not seen again until chapter 24. And um, it's interesting that we are going to discover that this servant, unnamed, is being sent by Abraham, the father, to go get the bride for his son. Yes, we're going to see this very clearly as a picture of Abraham and the role of God the father, Eleazar, the helper, the comforter, the, the one who is uh, doing the work, going out and, and finding the bride, and then bringing the bride to the son. And uh, all of this is uh, a beautiful picture. But um, we, we see Jesus saying this, this very thing in John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance things that I said to you. In John 15, 26, and when the helper comes, I shall send to you, notice again, from the Father. Second time he says this. And the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. This is exactly what we see in this chapter. And then in John 16, 13 to 15, however, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you to all truth. He will not speak on his own authority. But whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me. We're going to see this in this chapter. And he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. And you might notice back in verse 10, it says that the servant took all his master's goods uh, that were in his hand. So he's taking uh, what is the father's, what is the son's, and taking it and uh, going to get it to the bride to be. Now it's interesting that he asks God for a sign. Now, remember Gideon did that. Lord, you really want me to go attack the, you know, make the, the fleece wet and the ground dry and vice versa? And, and through this system, However, in the New Testament, Jesus doesn't want that. He, he said, hey, I, I won't tolerate that. It's a wicked and, and perverse generation that seeks after a sign. So God giving a sign is one thing. <laughs> Seeking for a sign is another thing. But however, at this time, in this dispensation of time, that was not an uh, unheard of thing. They didn't have much light. They didn't have much revelation. But what he's asking here is 10 camels that have just gone all the way from Israel to Mesopotamia, which is in Iraq there, uh, the lower southern part of Iraq. And a camel can drink, on average, about 30 gallons of water. You're going down into a hole 
When we go to Israel, we'll show you where you've got to go down some steps to the water. You get the bucket and you walk up the steps. You pour it in the trough. And they have some troughs at one of the uh, tells uh, there in Israel. When we go next year, we'll see that. And, and uh, so it was a tremendous amount of work just to get one bucket of water. But enough for 30 gallons times 10. He had 10 camels. And that's 300 gallons or more. So this isn't a 10-minute ordeal. <laughs> this is something that would take a few hours, a tremendous amount of work. And uh, so he's saying, God, I, I, I want it to be a lady who comes out, and, um, and she'll give me a drink of water, which is a big step in this culture. But more than that, she would instigate and offer. I don't ask her. I ask her for some water, but she volunteers to water all the camels. What is he looking for? He's looking for a woman who's a servant, a woman who is hardworking, a woman who is full of good works. And this is exactly what the Lord wants to see in his bride. It's amazing how many times Paul talks about this in the book of Titus. In chapter 2, verse 13 and 14, he says, Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and, what? Purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. In Titus 3, 1, Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities to obey, to be ready for every good work. In Titus 3.8, this is a faithful saying, and these things I want to affirm constantly that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These are good and profitable to men. In Titus 3.14, and let our people also learn to maintain good works, to meet urgent needs, that they may not be unfruitful. So he's looking for these characteristics of a servant, a hardworking servant, and uh, somebody who would just be this person full of good works. That's what the bride is going to be. Interesting there. I love verse 15 now. And it happened before he had finished speaking. <laughs> so we see this long prayer that he was going to pray, and he did pray, but before he could say amen, it's happening. God's already answering his prayer before he can even finish the prayer. It reminds me that Isaiah 65, 24 verse. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. <laughs> and while they're still speaking, I will hear. And here we see this. And so it happened before he could finish speaking that behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now, you guys remember back, Abraham had two brothers, right? And one of them had died, and the other was Nahor. But his brother who had died, uh, he had a daughter, Milcah, and so the uncle married the niece, that was Nahor and Milcah, and they had a child, Bethuel, and Bethuel's daughter is Rebekah. So that would be Isaac's second cousin, right? Bethuel would be his first cousin, and 
His daughter would be Isaac's second cousin. So that's what, really what they wanted. They want a first cousin, second cousin type of marriage. That's what the Arabs do even to this day. And in verse 16, now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, number one. Number two, she was a virgin. That is, no man had known her, so she was uh, sexually pure. And she had went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up. And the servant ran to meet her and said, please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. So she said, drink, my Lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also. There it is. Until they have finished drinking which, again, is a big commitment. She quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew it for all the camels. Now the man wondering at her remained silent as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. So at this point, she had just said she was going to do it. But there's a lot of people who can proclaim their own faithfulness, <laughs> proclaim their own goodness, can, pray, can, can you know, say, oh, I'm a servant. But can they really do it? Can they really follow through and, and finish the task and be the servant? So he's just wondering, going, okay, one camel down. Uh, before I say anything, I'm going to see. Wait till she gets to the tenth camel there, and uh, and to see whether or not she's really going to follow through. Because this is a big job. And in verse 22, it tells us. So it was when the camels had finished drinking, that the man took a golden nose ring weighing a half a shekel, two bracelets for her wrist weighing ten shekels of gold, and said. Whose daughter are you? So he didn't know what we know back in, in verse 15, who she was yet, even though the Bible told us ahead of time. He's now finding out for himself. Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to come and lodge? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, we have both straw and feed enough for room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshiped the Lord. So she didn't understand all that was happening here. He did. He just witnessed a, really a miracle for her to offer this and then to follow through doing this. And, you know, she's going to get home a few hours late. And and he, he then says, whose daughter are you? And then to find out, sure enough, she is of the family of Abraham, as Abraham had asked. And he can't contain himself. He just right there falls to the ground and begins to worship. I love this because we, we really don't know how much Abraham affected people until stuff like this. And then we realize this guy from Damascus, is a deep, deep worshiper of the Lord, huh? And, uh, and what a, a mighty man of God is he, besides being the great servant of Abraham. 
And he says, blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth towards my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Amazing. So the young woman ran and told her mother's household these things. So out of all the women that came, he happens to run up to the one woman who ends up being of the family of Abraham. I I, I don't have a lot of time tonight, but I I think I've told this story about, we had a missionary in, in Tijuana, but I was going to Mexico City to do an outreach. And um, he said, hey, can I go with you? And as we're flying there, he goes, hey, do you see this here? This is a picture. This is a guy from Mexico City. Several years ago, he left his family. He had been told that if he can just get across into America, all he needs to do is sweep the gutters for one block, and he'll have enough money to live on the rest of his life in Mexico. He fully believed it. Well, anyway, he was a drug addict and all kinds of horrible stuff. He, he crashed and burned in Tijuana there, and, but then he came to Christ at the Calvary Chapel there in, in Tijuana. And, um, and he said, yeah, he hasn't been able to talk to his family. They actually moved, and uh, he doesn't even know where they are anymore. And uh, we're going to go see if we can find the family. And I, and I figured out we had one day that we had we could have free. So we started off early in the morning. A lot, of, a lot of little things happened that were just miraculous along the way. But anyway, he lived in this area called Netza. Now, if you don't know Mexico City, it's the largest city in the world. And uh, we get off this, the, the subway system, and <laughs> there's just buildings. And it's like Netza is just huge. And we just start walking and praying and praying. We have no address. We have nowhere. We have no idea. We're just walking and praying. And we turn down this street and we turn down that street. And I don't know. We walked for half an hour and an hour just praying. And, and finally, he asked this little girl who's sitting out in front of her house on the steps and uh, said, hey, do you, do you know this person? And she's like, you're not supposed to be talking to me. Um, I'm going to go get my mom. And the mom comes out and sort of yells at us for a minute. And he said, I'm very, very sorry. You're right. You know, but do you know this guy? And she just tears up and says, that's my brother. The very first person we asked. We just assumed he was dead. And I said, nope, he's very much alive. And I'd like to tell you about him. She goes, you won't believe this, but our entire family extended family from other parts of Mexico happened to all be in town. And tonight we're all getting together at this uh, one relative's house. I'd love you to come and tell everybody. Can you come back in a couple hours? So we went and played some basketball, had some fun. And uh, we came back and we went there and the whole family was there. And we were able to preach Christ and tell them the testimony of this guy and how to get in contact with them and all. But I was in charge of a crusade and uh, I had to get, if you know how Mexico City is, it's hard to get from one place to another, even if it's not very far away. And I was supposed to be there now. And time had gotten away from us. And uh, we were talking back and forth, what are we going to do, you know? And the guy says, what are you talking about? And we said, I got, we got to get to this place now. 
And he goes, come here. We walked out in the front. He goes, see that building across the street? That's it. We walked across the street, and we were on time in Mexico. That's the miracle I want to tell you. That was it. The miracle. So I, I do know how this feels. I do know that surreal moment when you're going, am I awake or am I sleeping? This is just an absolute miracle that no one can deny happening right now. And what worship it does produce when God gives us those little sprinkles along the way. I mean, he's working miraculously every day of every second of every day, right down to the numbers of hairs upon our head, right? But when you get to see it every once in a while, it sure does put some wind in your cells. Well, in verse 29, so now Rebecca had a brother whose name was Laban. Bum, bum, bum. Yes, we're going to hear about this guy. And Laban ran out to the man by the well. And it came to pass when he saw the nose ring and the bracelets, his sister was on her wrist. Um, and when he heard the words of his sister Rebecca saying, thus the man spoke to me and that he went to this man and there he stood by the camels as well. So we sort of get a little glimpse here of the nature of Laban, how impressed he was with all the jewelry. He liked this and wanted to meet this guy. He likes rich people. And uh, who doesn't? We all like rich people. That's what uh, um, Gil Irwin used to always say, don't, don't tell me you're rich because I'll treat you real special. Um, anyway, and in verse 31, and he said, come in, O blessed of the Lord. Why do you stand outside? For I have prepared the house and a place for your camels. And the man came to the house and he unloaded the camels and provided straw and feed for the camels and water to wash their feet and the feet of the men who were with him. Food was set before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I've told you about my errand. And he said, speak on. And he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master greatly and he has become great and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and male and female servants and camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old and to him who has given all uh, that, that he has. Now my master made me swear saying, you shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell, but you will go back to my father's house to my family and take a wife for my son. And I said to my master, perhaps the woman will not follow me. And he said to me, O Lord, before whom I have walked, and I will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my family and from my father's house, and you will be clear from this oath when you arrive among my family. For if they will not give her to you, then you will be released from my oath. And this day I came to, to the well and said, O Lord God, my master Abraham, if you will now prosper the way in which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin comes to, out to draw the water, and I say to her, please give me a little water from the pitcher to drink, and she says to me, drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let it be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for your master's son. But before I could finish speaking in my heart, there was Rebecca coming out with her pitcher on her shoulder, and she went down to the well and drew water and said to her, please let me drink. And she made a haste and let her pitcher down from her shoulder and said, drink, and I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels a drink also. Then I asked her, um, 
and said, Whose daughter are you? And she said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, from Milcah bore to him. So I put the nose ring uh, on her nose and the bracelet on her wrist. And I bowed my head and worshiped the Lord and blessed the Lord of my master Abraham, who had led me in the way of truth to take the daughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will do kindly and truly with my master, tell me. And if not, tell me that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, the thing comes from the Lord. We cannot speak to either bad or good. Here is Rebekah before you. Take her and go. And let her be your master's son's wife. And the Lord has spoken. And it came to pass when Abraham's servant heard these words that he worshiped and the Lord bowing himself to the earth. So now for the second time, he's bowing himself and just having a, a little bit of worship time um, right in front of these people. He's not ashamed. He's not embarrassed to just start praising the Lord. Well, then the servant brought out jewelry of silver, jewelry of gold and clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave precious things to her brother and to her mother. And he and the men who were with him ate and drank and stayed all night. And then they arose in the morning and said, send me away to my master. But her brother and her mother said, oh, let the young woman stay with us a few days, at least 10. And after that, she may go. And he said to them, do not hinder me. Since the Lord has prospered my way, send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, well, we will call the young woman and ask her personally. So obviously they had geared her up um, to respond the way they wanted her to respond. But then they called Rebecca and said to her, oh, will you go with this guy? <laughs> and she said, I love this. I will go. She had a firm commitment to this son of Abraham. I want to be his bride. I want to go. And in essence, she was responding in a picture to the Holy Spirit, right? To the will of God, to the call of God, to the appointing of God, and her willingness is so beautiful. I will. As many as receive him, it says in John 1, 12, to them, he gives the right to become children of God. She was willing. That's all it takes. So they sent away Rebekah, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his, and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said, Our sister may become the mother of thousands, of tens of thousands, and may your descendants possess the gates of those who hate them. Then Rebekah and her maids arose, and they rode on the camels and followed the man, so the servant, notice this, took Rebekah and departed. <laughs> Those two words, just like in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, when it says that then the Lord will be caught up with him. It's a strong word to be snatched away. Rapturus in the Latin and harpazo in the Greek. It's a snatching away. This is the same words in the Hebrew, very strong words that he snatched her away. And this is exactly what I believe the rapture is going to be, the Holy Spirit snatching away all those who have believed on the Lord and bring us to the Son, caught up in the air with the Lord, and then he takes us to the seven 
days, which is seven years, marriage supper of the Lamb, the wedding feast. And, uh, and of course, we see uh, this picture taking place here in chapter 24. Now, Isaac came from the way of, listen, Bear Lahai Roy. Do you remember that from before? It is the well of the living one. The well of the living one or the spring of the living one. What's it say to us when the, when the, the church is gathered together to Christ in Revelation 7, 17? And it says, and the lamb was there in the midst of the heavens. And he shepherded and led us to the rivers of living water. The Holy Spirit <laughs> snatching us up, taking us with the sun. And there's the sun takes us to the midst of the living water. And here is Isaac, the first time we see him since he was being offered as a sacrifice. This is the first time we see him. And he is coming from the living waters. He's coming from the well of the living one. And this is where he dwelt in the south. Living near Abraham, but not exactly. He had his own place, evidently. Now, Isaac went out to meditate in the field in the evening. And he lifted his eyes and looked. And there the camels were coming. And Rebekah lifted her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she dismounted from her camel. The old King James says she lit her camel. And I don't know if you know about camel cigarettes. Anyway, we used to have fun with the old King James. She lit her camel. And uh, anyway, um, and in verse 65, for she had said to the servant, who is this man walking in the field to meet us? And the servant said, it is my master. So she took a veil and covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all the things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his, her, his mother Sarah's tent. And he took Rebekah and she became the wife. And he loved her, the son of of God, he loves the church. He loves his bride. So Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. So we get a picture of the church, the bride. She's beautiful. She's pure. She's a servant. She's full of good works and hard works. She's hospitable. Come and stay with us. And she's kind. And she has this amazing, willing spirit to be in agreement with the moving of the Holy Spirit. Even when the ass is extraordinary. For her to go with some stranger the day after she meets him, and she's going to be traveling hundreds of miles away to a foreign place. It was an extraordinary step of faith on her part. That's the, the bride, isn't it? And what do we see Isaac doing? He's living by the living waters. And what is he doing in the cool of the evening? He's meditating, praying. 
just like God had always pictured. And no doubt, Isaac had heard the story of Adam and Eve, how the Lord walked with them in the cool of the evening. And maybe Isaac was, in a sense, emulating that. He was walking in the field in the cool of the evening and just fellowshipping with God. So single people often ask me that question, you know, how do you find the right person? And the answer is always just be the right person. A lot of times there's people that are not the right person looking for the right person, and I hope they don't find them because they probably would dilute them. But the first thing is you to be that person like Rebecca or like Isaac or both. And I love it because Rebecca, in the midst of being led by the Holy Spirit and being this person of good works, in the midst of her good works, she finds the connection to her husband. And Isaac, in the midst of seeking the Lord and living in the spirit by the living waters, he finds his bride. And so you've got this Isaac guy and this Rebecca guy coming together, finding each other, if you would, by being led by the Lord, by ministering to the Lord, by fellowshipping with the Lord. And he took her and they lived by Bear Lahiroi. Bear Lahiroi. They lived by the waters of the living one. What a beautiful, beautiful picture of Christ in the church. But I also think it has just a really practical application to those single people that are wishing to be married and wanting to be married and desiring to find such a spouse. Be the spouse first, and then the Lord will lead you to the spouse. Of course, Paul says, it's better to stay single. I, I say this to spare you. Um, so we do have other scriptures on this, but... Um, is there any questions before we go into a time of worship and prayer this evening? Yes. Oh, she fell off the camel. Hmm. The word there is when she saw him, when she understood who it was. Okay. Well, I'll have to look at that. I, I did not know that. Yeah. Very good. It is a very similar calling to Abraham. You've got to leave your family and come up. Yeah. 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 It was a huge step for this young girl to, uh, that just wasn't culturally done, <laughs> to leave your whole family and, 
go off to another land. Yes, There was a mighty movement of God's Holy Spirit there. The Lord was at work, and she sensed it and, and yielded to it against family pressure. And we learn later how manipulative Laban can be, so no doubt there was some serious manipulation going on there, knowing Laban, and she, probably to the unhappiness of her family, um, stood up, maybe for the first time in her life, and said, I'm going. And, um, and no doubt that was not what they wanted to hear. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to get there later. So I, it's funny because I taught at the Bible college, Genesis. I just finished this last semester. So I've noticed a couple of times I taught on Wednesday night. I'm like, yeah, it's like we just studied. And I realized, oh, that's not until chapter 37. What am I doing? I just taught that last week. I did teach it last week, but that was for the Bible college, not for here. So I have jumped ahead a little. I've done it a couple of times in teaching. Well, good stuff. Let's come and sing a song of worship, and then we'll pray for a little bit, and I'll let you lead that, Matthias. Hmm. Lord, have your way amongst us tonight, Lord, and give us a sweet time of meditation in this cool of the evening, Lord, a time of prayer, of fellowship with you, and seeking you. And we just want to worship you now as we think of the servant fell on his face and he worshiped at the great things you have done. So do we, Lord. We want to do the same.